Where's the strangest place you've lost your car keys? Inside the refrigerator, the washer or dryer, the trunk of your car, the kitty litter box? Well, good news, because even if you've lost your keys on the moon, you can still unlock your car and get where you're going with available digital key in the 2023 all-new Kia Nero EV. Farther for all. To learn more, visit kia.com slash Nero EV today. Kia, movement that inspires. Acast powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Anna Ferris, and I have this podcast fittingly titled Anna Ferris is Unqualified, where each week a different celebrity and I attempt to give relationship and dating advice. Recent co-hosts have included Matthew McConaughey. You got somebody you care about. You lost track of them. Go find out. Margaret Cho. Vacation <laughs> sex is always irresistible. Gwyneth Paltrow. I could make it all about them and not have to focus on my own problems. <laughs> and Seth Rogen. <laughs> so if you're wondering what your favorite celebrity or I would do in your situation, just listen and subscribe to Anna Ferris is Unqualified. Free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. This is a Bloody Vegans production. Hello, my name is Jim. This is my podcast, The Bloody Vegans. You're very welcome to it. Each week, I'll be travelling ever deeper into the world of veganism, discovering along the way a multitude of viewpoints from the political and ethical to the practical. I'll be doing this through a series of conversations, each aiming to further illuminate my understanding and hopefully yours of all things plant-centric. And this week is no different. Uh, as I said last week, we would be returning to normal service back to the interview format this week, and indeed we are, I am delighted to say. Uh, this week, we're going to be joined by Christina Mather, the founder of the family-run dog rehoming um, sanctuary, um, Little Legs Dog Rehoming, based up in Southport, the north of England, near Liverpool, uh, so you can get your bearings. We're going to be chatting about the founding of that amazing organisation, but we're also going to be talking about Christina's personal journey into the world of veganism, as always we do in these uh, these interview format podcasts. Um, and Christina has a, has a very apt, very pertinent um, story to tell that really does centre around veganery, of course, the time of year that we're in, but also the organisation itself and the support and community that it gave her. Um, so we're going to be chatting about that. Before we do, though, let's let's do the usual bit of admin um, before we get cracking into the, the, the show itself. So if you would like to support the Bloody Vegans podcast, there are a number of ways to do so. You can do so completely free of charge via your podcast provider of choice by leaving a nice review that would be great um so yeah do do that if you can um a five-star review would be lovely <laughs> not not to sway you in any way but but it would be nice uh, it does help the uh, podcast uh, be discovered by more folks uh, and hopefully we can we can kind of spread the word um if you are enjoying it that would be a lovely start there are a couple of other ways to do it. So if you're an Apple Podcast subscriber, if you head over to the Apple Podcast app, uh, search for the Bloody Vegans Podcast, you can find a subscription button there 
And for just 99 pence a month, you can subscribe to the podcast, um, get access to episodes early in advance now and then, um, but also just support the podcast. It helps keep the lights on and helps keep the podcast going. So um, do uh, go ahead and do that if you are so inclined. And finally, if you head on over to Patreon and search for Bloody Vegans Podcast, you can also support the show there uh, and in return get a number of rewards. There's uh, shout outs on episodes and in the show notes there's merchandise there's all kinds of different things uh, and talking of merchandise if you head on over to bloody vegans podcast or the bloody vegans podcast.co.uk um you can indeed purchase merchandise there as well so um loads of ways to support the podcast so that's my little um set of um plugs a bit of admin uh, to go through before we get into the episode but that's the episode in hand so uh, I was lucky enough to chat with Christina a couple of weeks back uh, I, I do sound a little uh, a little ropey by normal standards I was suffering the effects of a cold thankfully not covid um, and everyone is everyone in the household is uh, back to normal and, and fighting fit now um, but at the time I've got a, a rather sort of strange sounding voice so my apologies in advance for that I think I managed to uh, edit out and, uh, and mute out all the coughs and uh, all the rest of it so um, you won't hear any of those but I, I don't sound quite my usual chipper self uh, made up for by Christina who is um, a, f- a fantastic individual uh, with an amazing story to tell and is doing some great great work with little legs dogs rehoming uh, up, up there in uh, in Southport so without further ado here's a conversation between me and Christina Mather So I was brought up a vegetarian. All my family were vegetarian growing up. We didn't eat meat. We had loads of rescue animals from geese to horses, guinea pigs, everything in between. And we just always referred to ourselves as a family full of animal lovers. So in like the 80s and the 90s, I don't think I'd ever even heard the term being vegan, but you could be veggie or vegetarian. So we were all vegetarian. Um, And that's just all I ever knew. I don't really have any recollections of eating meat. I have some recollections of going to kids' parties and people rolling their eyes and being like, oh, what are we going to feed you? But I've never known any difference. So lifelong vegetarian. And I guess I only started questioning it around about five or six years ago because being vegetarian up until then kind of always felt enough. So yeah, all my, I'm quite proud really to say that I'm from a lifelong family of people that don't eat meat. You mentioned that you know the, the the school parties and so on. It's kind of interesting to me. Like so, back in the eighties and nineties, I was of, of, of a similar a similar era. It was, um, uh, but not vegetarian. I must say, growing up, um, w- w- did you find that you mentioned that kids would question it a little bit? That back then, even just being vegetarian was kind of like marked out as different. Yeah, it it was difficult, but I didn't really find that the children were the problem. It was I always remember it was children's parents. <laughs> so I still have this one really yeah. clear recollection and I won't mention any names, but I remember being at a girl in my class's birthday party and literally this mum there saying, "Oh, like vegetarian, you know, what are we going to feed you?" and looking at all these like ham sandwiches and sausage rolls and I, I vaguely remember just eating like bread and butter because there was nothing else that I could eat. So I don't ever remember kids being unkind. I remember it more being the parents. Yeah. Yes, it's interesting, actually. I think that's probably um, the case for many vegans now, actually. It's not the the kids are pretty open, you know, especially when they're quite young. But but the parents, it's often the challenge. I'm finding that myself anyway as a dad of a a three-and-a-half-year-old. 
I think children are all born with compassion. So they kind of just, I don't know, I yeah. don't really feel like they've, there's no stigma with them. You know, if you say I don't eat meat because I love animals, I think they just accept it. Whereas I think it's grown ups and they're a little bit more cynical, aren't they? Or a little bit more negative about anything that doesn't fit in with their ideas of what is normal or, or you know, or within their their world. So if they don't know about it or they yeah. don't think about it, then I don't know. People can be a little bit negative, can't they? Absolutely, yeah. What what got you so what got you questioning then, sort of six years ago? Um I at that point I was vegetarian and I would still buy leather shoes, I would have leather bags. I didn't really think further than not eating meat. And I still remember now I my friend Julia was tattooing me and she'd recently gone vegan and we were talking about we were talking about good vibes and karma and doing the right thing. And she just said, you know, I've recently gone vegan. And she she referred to it, and I still remember the term she used, like um, enlightenment. She said, I feel like I've gone through this period of spiritual enlightenment. And it's partly come from doing the right thing and becoming vegan. And it really like sat with me. And it, it was December. I remember it was December. And I thought about it for about two weeks. And she said, oh, I watched Earthlings go and watch Earthlings. And I thought, yeah, yeah, you know, oh, I will. Yeah. And it must have been about two weeks later, I was on my break in work and I thought, do you know what? I'll just, I'll Google Earthlings. And all that came up was the trailer and it was about two minutes long. And I remember literally sitting there with my phone like, oh my God. And then tears like streaming down my face. And I thought, what even is this? Like I had, it sounds so naive as a grown woman to not have any idea about eggs and dairy I already knew about kind of animal testing that was something that was on my radar and circuses and zoos so I never would have gone to those but it was I still remember it was it was eggs and it was dairy and I watched that and I felt sick to the pit of my stomach I felt I felt terrible because I genuinely had no idea and I literally just said at that point I was like I'm vegan now and I had no idea what I was doing I literally didn't have a clue and I think I googled going vegan and veganuary came up so I like quickly put my email address in and I was like right that's it I'm vegan and I didn't have a clue what I was doing but it's just something a switch went in my brain and I thought that is it there is no there's no going back there's no half measures of being vegetarian anymore I've got to I've got to do this so it was quite quick for me you know there was no transitional period there was no eating everything in my fridge mm. before I made the change. There was no setting a date. It was literally there and then. What was that that feeling? You know, you said that sickness in the pit of your stomach. Was it was it a kind of a a deception almost? Like I thought that I was doing everything I needed to do. Like where, where did that come from? Yeah, I think I think I was embarrassed. Genuinely, as an animal oh, lover who's yeah. been around animals my whole life, I mean. We had horses growing up and we used to keep them on a pig farm. And I still remember the noises on certain days, you know, when they would come and they would take the pigs off for slaughter mm. as a really young child. So I kind of understood meat, but I don't think I understood. I feel like there's this there's this big myth, isn't there? And there's this big cover up about how chickens are going to lay eggs whether we eat them or not and if we don't they'll go to waste and mm. cows are going to have milk whether we drink it or not. And, you know, I've even heard a few adults say to children well cows are going to explode if we don't drink their milk and I'd never <laughs> ever connected the dots that 
cows make milk because they're mothers, not because they're cows. And all of a sudden, all these little things slotted into place. And I felt really embarrassed because I think I'm quite open-minded and quite quite smart. And all of a sudden, I I thought, how on earth have I been duped for this long in my life? And I felt felt foolish, felt embarrassed. Do do you think that that... It's interesting you use that word, uh, and I, I totally relate, actually, that, that feeling of embarrassment. You know, for me, I, I came at it from an environmental standpoint first, and then the sort of the animal welfare came later. Um, you know, p- people come in from different angles, as they say, you know, you just come for the environment, come for the health and stay for the animals. And, and um, you know, for me, it was environmental, and I remember having the same feeling of, I thought I was doing my bit, I thought I was recycling, I thought I was doing this, that and the other. And um, that, that embarrassment was definitely very real. Do you think that for that almost if if people could, you know, if if there was an openness to that feeling that that, that it's okay to feel embarrassed, if perhaps we in the in the quote unquote vegan community were perhaps, uh, you know, sharing those stories, putting our finger on it, and saying, yeah, we were embarrassed too, or we felt like this it would bring more people in. So I wonder if people, when they feel that embarrassment, you've got two choices, haven't you? You can kind of like be humble and open and go, do you know what, I was wrong. Or you can double down. Yeah, yeah. And and I think with me, I am I'm very transparent with it because I understand that so many people have come to me talking about veganism. And there are quite a lot of people out there who will say, oh no, you know what, they will paint them paint this picture of themselves that they're perfect and I think that's a big barrier to veganism because people think if I'm not 100% vegan and I'm not perfect well therefore I can't do it you know and Mm. I think acknowledging the difficulties and the slip-ups and the challenges that you will face but being open to it and almost embracing it and I'm almost quite proud of my horror and my embarrassment and because yeah you know I'll, I'll have that I'll wear that because they're normal feelings aren't they and I went around for years saying when people said why are you vegetarian I was like oh because I'm such an animal lover and then I think yeah. actually I, I I loved pets that's what I was really saying is I loved the animals that I shared my home with whereas the other animals that I might not see every day so cows and sheep and chickens what I was really saying is you know, I almost disregarded them as being worthy of my love. Whereas now I'm, you know, I'm very clear that, you know, I am an animal lover and I, and I care for animals, not just pets. And I think that's the difference, but yeah, I, I, I'm at peace now with my embarrassment because I've, I feel like I've come such a long way on my vegan journey since then. Yeah. Do you, do you think having that experience and that viewpoint has made you subsequently, you know, since becoming vegan and making that transition, has it made you think differently? Maybe approach people who are who aren't yet vegan, haven't yet made the transition um, differently. Because I, I ask a question because you know that 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 feeling is not uncommon, is it? The idea of you know, especially in in the UK, we consider ourselves this nation of animal lovers. Has it has it made you perhaps? approach it slightly differently because I think some people and I probably count myself in this actually when when I went through it probably became a little bit sort of militant almost a little bit aggressive at the beginning because I felt like well everyone should know this now and once you know the facts I'll tell you the facts you want to share it yeah yeah you want everyone to know (laughs) 
yeah, as soon as I've told you the facts, now you need to switch too, as if like that is that easy, easily done. But your experience is interesting. Has it has it made you perhaps approach with a slightly different, perhaps a softer edge? It has now, but like you, at first I was angry and I went through this angry <laughs> vegan stage and I was like, oh my goodness, I've seen the light. I've had this awakening. I didn't know and I wanted to tell everyone. And I think I scared people off because all of a sudden I was this preachy, judgmental, angry vegan who wanted everybody to change overnight. And, you know, my family and my friends and I almost wanted to cut people off, you know, if they weren't open to it. And that probably lasted about six months, you know, and I would share this horrific slaughterhouse footage because I'd seen it, so I'd watched it, so everybody needed to see it. And then gradually over the last five years, I've I've softened and I've, I've kind of learned really that there's so many different approaches to getting people on board and it isn't always shock tactics. And more often than not, it's that, it's the kindness that gets people in. So for a while, my husband and I ran... Um, a vegan activism chapter in Liverpool. And at mm-hmm. first I was I was really passionate and I, and I think I did scare people off. And I think people thought, oh my goodness, this is like all or nothing and I'm going to go vegan. And all of a sudden I've got to be out on the streets and I've got to be converting people. And if I'm not that, I can't be vegan. Whereas now I've got, I think I've mellowed with it a little bit and I've got this much softer approach where I am kinder and I will say to people, I know it's hard try this vegan cake or come round to mine and let me cook you vegan mm-hmm. dinner. And, you know, there's different inroads that are a much gentler, less judgmental approach, but it's taken me a long time to get here. <laughs> do, you, do you sometimes, this might just be me, I sometimes, because I've been through pretty much carbon copy sounds like, the initial kind of like quite aggressive phase and then sort of figuring out there's different ways to approach this and often my messaging wasn't landing so you know how how could I make it land and um I sometimes though now reflect and wonder am I a little too soft sometimes do I do I not you know do I shy away from it uh do do you ever feel that is that just just me no I, I do and sometimes I question not my veganism but I question am I am I working my vegan magic on people the way that I used to? Because it was easy before, because I would have people reaching out on social media saying, you spoke to me in Liverpool six months ago and I've been vegan since then. But trying this softer approach, I think, do I look like I'm not as passionate or I don't care as much? Mm. And that's something as as well that I've struggled with. But what I've realised is I am more approachable more people are coming to me and asking for my advice because I come across as being a kinder, softer person. And I'm going to say that I think my results are as good and people that previously would have never Mm. considered veganism are now more open to it because my approach is much more laid back. But I have have done that and I have questioned if I'm not (laughs) shouting it from the rooftops, am I as passionate as what I was? But it's just a different approach, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and I think there are there are loads of different ways, and I, I'm glad that people still do shout from the rooftops. I guess I kind of am in a sort of way. There's there's a podcast that's out there, but it's even then it's it's a relatively conversational approach for for the reason that I want you know I, personally I want people to see that 
vegans are pretty reasonable folks who are who, who are trying yeah. to go about doing the right thing and trying to cause as little harm as possible you know um but yeah I, I do quite i do question myself sometimes think could i do more could i be louder do i need to it's, sometimes do people just need that shock you know so it's, it's interesting to hear in, in that space sometimes too I'd, I'd love to turn to veganuary if that's all right because it was yeah it, course, obviously yeah. it was the it it was a jump off point for you um, it sounds like you were pretty kind of committed going into it. I think for many people, they probably go into veganuary with a with a much more let's try it for a month and see how we go. You'd obviously had this longer history of um, of you know being a big supporter of animal welfare and so on and so forth, and and just having this epiphany that veganism was a step further than you perhaps been before. But it'd be it'd be good to understand like. You know, why, why did you particularly, considering you were quite made up, why did you particularly get on board with Veganuary and what kind of benefits do you think it's it's had for you in that initial, that initial month? I think initially for me, I only knew one vegan person. So I was a little bit like, who do I go to for advice? And I thought, my friend's going to be sick of me if I'm constantly messaging her saying, <laughs> what, what do I do with this? Like, I want to make a birthday cake. What do I use? So my initial thought was, I need some vegan friends. And even if they were just via Facebook or via social media or like a support. So that was my first thing. Then there was the recipes, obviously, and and helped. And I think it was that sense of being accountable. So whilst I was very sure I was going to do it, I thought I'm one of these people where if I sign up and I get an email every day, it's something keeping me on track and it's something reminding me every day so I don't know how I would have fared if I'd have gone it on my own but I am so passionate about Veganuary and the support I've had since then and the community and the people I've met through Veganuary has been it's been amazing and they are my go-to all year round so I think people think obviously about Veganuary you only do it in January but I send people to Veganuary in the middle of summer and I say you know you can sign up whenever you want and I think that's something that people don't realise. I think they think they have to wait until the 1st of January. And, you know, I don't think they realise that, you know, they can help them all year round. So I think it was that little sense of community, really, and and having some friends, you know, some vegan friends, even if they weren't yeah. in real life, to to support me. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I, I, I definitely relate. I, I went through a couple of years of not having any, any vegan contacts for, at all. So, you know, I kind of wish I'd... I'd started through that route. I, I didn't, but I, I kind of wish I did now. You know, it's, it's, it's this community. I'd love to get your view on something because I've had this conversation a couple of times with some folks who are kind of quite deep in the in the sort of quote-unquote vegan community about Veganuary. And there's, there's almost a bit of a, I don't want to say a backlash, but there's some concerns, I think, within the vegan community at the moment of, um, you know, the, 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 the kind of idea, the premise of it, as great as it is, as being co-opted by kind of big companies looking to cash in for the month and so on and so forth. I'd love to get your perspective on that and whether you think actually we need to kind of as a community move past that a little bit and make sure that we are still advocating for it because it is this great jump off point. So I think that goes a little bit back to what we were saying before about you will know yourself in the vegan community, there's almost this hierarchy and being vegan level 100 is like this perfect vegan <laughs> who is out on the streets every day and you are, you know, doing activism and you only support 
small local fully vegan businesses and then somewhere a little bit lower down that pecking order is a day-to-day normal vegan who's trying to do their bit who can't commit to that full-on 100% vegan activism lifestyle and I know I've had a few people say this to me when I was doing outreach in Liverpool where they would say we can't advocate for anything less than a hundred percent perfect vegan from the get-go. No baby steps, no vegetarian first, no trying it for a month, no meat-free days. That's all out. And I understand why people say that because once you see the light, why would you want to dip a toe in? But now I think it's come with this mellowiness. I get a little bit older. Now I do think, well, actually, if people are trying vegan options and they're telling their friends and family and they're purchasing those in the supermarket, is that better than nothing? Because there are some people that will never make that jump, but they may go 50%. Well, would we rather have 50% or nothing at all? So I think as I've mellowed, as I've got older, I think, yeah, it isn't ideal somebody walking into Burger King and buying a vegan burger. But is that better than going in and buying a normal burger? Well, yeah, I'm going to say it is. So I think I've only seen that viewpoint as I've softened, as I've got older. And veganism is big now and it is a, a big registered charity and it does have a lot of followers and a lot of supporters and people will always find the negative in everything, won't they? So they will say, hmm. well, someone's going to be making money off the back of that. But we have to get real in that the society that we live in cash is king and money rules, doesn't it? And not very many people mm. do things for nothing. So there has to be incentives for these companies to branch out and make vegan products. And personally for me, I think about five years ago when I went vegan, how much easier my life is now because of these companies that have created all these new vegan products. You know, I can walk into Tesco and buy a vegan birthday cake off the shelf. I don't have to order <laughs> one via a, a vegan baker and drive an hour to go and pick it up. I, I can walk in and buy one. So for that, I'm grateful. So I say this all the time about animal welfare. This path to this perfect vegan world isn't linear, is it? it it's, there's going to be some bumps in the road mm. and it might not always be perfect, but I'm all for it. If people are trying veganism, then I'm going to I'm going to applaud them for that because it isn't easy, is it, always? No, absolutely. And and I love that point about the path not being linear. I, I think it, it's just triggered a thought in me, actually, that I, I still feel it's, it's kind of good for people to question. I'm glad that there is argument and debate and there's questioning. Um, but I'm also kind of fall on your side of the fence insofar as I think, you know, if what, what are we trying to achieve? Are, are we trying to make an exclusive club or are we trying to bring people along a journey and recognise that, Sometimes these journeys take a little while and, and it's not all overnight. You know, for, for you, it was overnight once you'd watched Earthlings. For me, it was overnight once I watched Cowspiracy. But the amount of people I've spoken to whose journey is more like, you know, five, six, seven plus years, you know, and that it was, and even actually hours, as much as I say we watch this or we watch that, looking back, there's probably some dots we can join to, you know, you've been vegetarian yeah. a long time and so on and so forth. Everybody's journey's long, really, even if the, the final decision is quick. So yeah, I think you make a really valid point there. But I still kind of think there's value in friction in, it, in a way, as long as we don't kind of uh, cut each other off with it. 
know. Yeah. Well, it gets it keeps people talking and debating it, doesn't it? And like you say, as long as it doesn't go too far and we don't fall out over it, it's good to have <laughs> healthy debate, doesn't it, about the pros and cons. And of course, if I had a choice, if I was on a high street and I was going to yeah. buy from an independent vegan place, of course I would. But it isn't always that simple, is it? You know, so I no. think it's more about in the situation that you're in at that time, do you make the most conscious decision in that scenario? So if you've got a choice, do you yeah. make the best choice? So for me, it's about that. It's just about conscious thought, isn't it, into what you're doing. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think there's, you know, there's affordability in there as well. You know, one of the big things that people will throw up as, a, as an issue is affordability. And, you know, whichever way you cut it, if you're, you know, sometimes if you're sourcing the the perfect kind of vegan ingredient from somewhere... Uh, or you know, vegan dish or whatever, or vegan product. Sometimes there's a premium that comes with that, out of the fact that you're supporting a local business and all the rest of it. I'd hate yeah. for somebody to be completely turned off it because they think, well, I can't afford that. You know that. So therefore, yeah. all veganism is out because it's either perfect or nothing. I think I think you make yeah. a valid point. If Tesco's is your option, as much as you know, I might not want to support Tesco. Uh, if if that's my option and that's what I can afford. And I've got family to feed. I'd rather they were doing that and it was vegan, you know. Of course. And it's just about doing the best that you can with what you've got, isn't mm. it? 100%. Yeah. Yeah, you summed it up nicely. <laughs> that's, that's exactly it. Doing the, doing the best that you can. It, let, can we talk about your activism? Because uh, you, you mentioned that it's yeah. about street outreach. You know, you're you're very busy right now in a kind of a different form of activism, uh, which it would be great to, to sort of talk about where, where that's come from now. But I'd love to hear your kind of journey from, you know, uh, from turning vegan to to actually wanting to do more, out, you know, whether it be outreach, whether it, want it, whether it be supporting, you know, dogs as you are now, uh, you know, in the way that you are. I'd love to hear a little bit about your journey in that world. Yeah, so when I initially went vegan, again, I think it's, not a shock to the system, but there was obviously this period of change. And I thought, right, that's it, you know, I'm vegan, I'm doing enough. And then probably about six months in of people not really listening to me and me sharing footage on Facebook and nobody commenting on it and thinking, you know, losing friends left, right and centre because I shared some footage from, you know, inside a slaughterhouse or something. I thought, well, how can I, how can I talk to people about being vegan? And I saw something come up on, again, on Facebook about um, an activism group in Liverpool. And I still remember the day I jumped on a train on my own. It was a weekday. I literally walked over to this group of strangers and I was like, hi, and I'm, I'm vegan and I'm like here to join you. And I was part of that chapter for, I think, about 18 months. So I started out just as a volunteer. Then when different people were leaving the chapter, I took on with the, the running of it. And the only reason that ultimately that chapter closed was because of COVID. So a lot of things were changing and obviously there was lockdowns and restrictions in place. So we couldn't we couldn't do it. But, you know, I literally went from zero to hero. I was this vegetarian, then I was vegan. Then all of a sudden I found myself running this activism, a street activism group. And I loved it while I was doing it. I absolutely loved it. And people would come back to me and they would say, do you remember you spoke to me? And, you know, I've not eaten meat in X amount of weeks or, you know, and or people would, you know, like I say, reach out on social media and say, thank you so much for speaking to me. And I really, really loved it. And I think the only reason that my activism in that way has stopped is once once COVID start, I set up my own not-for-profit dog rescue from home. And that went from having 
I think I had 12 dogs in the house at the time. And now I've got 26. So, you know, again, I, I feel sometimes I feel guilty and I think, am I not spreading the vegan message? But my activism has taken a different route in that I take in dogs that are, have got major behavioural issues. So would have actually got as far as being at the vets to be put to sleep because they have bitten or they don't get along with the family or they can't be rehomed. I take in ex-breeding dogs. So how I liken it is that, you know, a few people have been a bit funny saying, well, why do you work with dog breeders or why would you take in ex-breeding dogs? You almost support in that industry. But I liken it to veganism. If, if I was taking in ex-battery hens or, you know, retiring cows from the dairy industry, am I supporting that industry or am I kind of mopping up the mess afterwards? So, yeah, I'm absolutely snowed under at the minute with, I think I've had just me from home and my family we've had 45 dogs through the doors this year we have rehomed the majority we've still got some with us long term we fund the vets bills we retrain we rehome if we can and we just love them all and they're all in the house with me and it's absolute chaos (laughs) (laughs) had you had much experience in that kind of world before because that sounds incredibly daunting you know i'd love to i'd love to do something like that but (laughs) It also sounds incredibly, like I say, daunting to figure out, like, you know, how how to do it and so on. Like, wh- where did you start with that? So I was brought up loads of rescue animals. So I laugh about it now, but my mum and dad actually got divorced because my dad said to my mum when I was a teenager, if you bring any more dogs home, that's it, I'm leaving. And my mum did. And I think at the point we, I'm laughing now, but my mum, my you know, we, it is like a standing joke in the family. So we had rescue horses that had previously been, were going to go to slaughter. We'd got, uh, we'd got a goose with one eye. We'd got battery hens. We'd got rabbits from pet shops that couldn't be sold because they were ill. So we'd always had loads of rescue animals. And my mum had 12 dogs at the time uh, when, at the start of lockdown. And I think we'd got 12 or 13 of our own. And locally, People just kind of knew that if they'd got a difficult dog, they could kind of leave it with us and we would fix it, whether it was vet spills. And it was only when I thought, you know, hang on, we're spending all our savings here and we are finding homes for these dogs, but we're not really getting anything back. That it was my husband that said, we should get a social media page and just see if anybody wants to donate to vet spills. So that's how it started, really. I set up a Facebook and an Instagram and a website and then the next thing the donations come in and then the dogs come in and mm. it was gone from just taking an ex-breeding dogs to now I've taken dogs from Manchester from London from the Midlands I've rehomed as far as London um wow. and it is just don't get me wrong like most people who find themselves in rescue you wing it at first so I didn't yeah. really know what I was doing you know I've made some mistakes but I've kind of got a good little routine going now and, you know, I've got a good support network and, but it is still hard. Like, you know, most nights I average four or five hours sleep because at the minute I've got puppies in that have been sick. So I've been feeding them, you know, like through the night or late at night and early in the morning. I've got dogs with me that have got like cancer that I won't rehome. They'll stay with us for life, you know, and we'll look after them for life. I've got some dogs that have bitten a dozen people and, were literally, you know, the vets were ready to put them to sleep because they said that they would never, ever be rehomed. And now they're loving life and living at mine. And I, I guess I'm, I think I'm just one of those people that's been brought up with animals. I kind of understand them. 
uh, I like to think that I'm quite in tune with with them and people laugh and they say oh you're like a dog whisperer I don't know if it's that I think it's just having a little bit of compassion and you know being patient and calm and level-headed and but yeah I'm still winging it I'm it's still early days we've been set up now just over a year but you know there's I've got a waiting list of dogs ready to come so it's Uh, it's like a full-time job and a half but I love it I can I can only imagine I can I can only imagine I'm almost (laughs) reluctant to ask ask this question because I sort of fear what the answer might be but um lockdown what look, there was a there was a big uptick in people getting locked down dogs and so on. I saw so many friends of friends social media posts, bits and pieces of people with you know getting a, a, a new a new uh, companion for the for the home. Has that is there a is there a sort of sad back end of that story? Insofar as are you seeing a lot of dogs that need rehoming off the back of that where people have you know perhaps taken on a a a new companion animal that they couldn't cope with yeah so I think what happened like you're saying with lockdown is everybody was at home nobody could go on holiday everyone was bored I don't know why it was doing your house up or buying a dog or both and everybody seemed to be doing it didn't they because they I think everyone was bored so at first I was thinking we're going to get all the puppies through that people have got and they're chewing the house up or they can't, you know, they're going back to work and they can't look after them. But what I've actually seen more of is the ex-breeding dogs who have been bred more than what they ordinarily would have done to cash in on this this puppy boom. Uh. So I've got some French bulldogs at the minute who have had back-to-back litters of puppies and they are exhausted and they are now almost a waste product of the breeding industry. And they people don't want them unfortunately because they are older they a lot of dogs like the french bulldogs that have been so popular they have to have cesarean births so once they've had a few they can't then give birth naturally anyway and it's sad to say that if there's not an incentive for owning them people don't want them so i've got at the minute i've got five french bulldogs in my house and i always said i didn't overly like them (laughs) i love all dogs but i've got the breeds that i naturally warm to and I've got five French bulldogs at the minute and uh, they're ready to leave and I'm struggling to find homes for them because people don't want older dogs. They want the cute puppy that, you know, they've picked. And But literally prices went from maybe 500 to to £1,000 for a puppy to I heard of people paying £5,000 during lockdown for a puppy that they never ever would have wow. ordinarily paid for. So, and even normal people at home who would have never considered having a litter of puppies they saw this so they were mating and breeding their own family pets you know so we've had quite a lot of dogs that have come that way where people have had a litter of puppies at home and then couldn't cope with the puppies or couldn't sell them then because they've they've missed that window of opportunity for lockdown so yeah we've had puppies I've had older dogs I've got the dogs that have been bought in lockdown that people have bought that have got no experience of owning a dog and they've bitten them and you know they've loved them but they've not been able to manage them so yeah I've we've got it from every angle so we've got the cast-offs we've got the puppies and we've got the behavioral ones and we've got a house full wow I, I hadn't really considered that but it's when it's completely logical when you when you say it like that I I, I think I was imagining 
people taking on puppies and you know then then deciding actually this isn't for us but you're absolutely right that it's a it's an industry where these puppies are being bred and you know there's a there's a mother at the end who's who's suffered through that so it's, yeah it's really really kind of sad to hear really um, but again it's it's something that people forgive, don't consider isn't it no no, not at all. I, I must admit, and I feel feel awful for not having considered it. But I hadn't thought about it from that perspective. Like I say, I'd only thought about the puppy that is no longer wanted, and so on, and that kind of thing. Which I guess, like you said, would probably be relatively easy, you know, easier to rehome. You know, um, it, for folks who, who, and I'll include myself in this. I, you know, I, I don't, I don't have a companion animal in the in the home at the moment. Um, for folks who don't, who don't perhaps know how to go about making sure that they, you know, get a, a new companion animal in the home in the right way and so on, what, what, what to look for? Where, where do you go? Where do you start? It's hard because most people will pick a dog based on what aesthetically appeals to them. We're quite shallow, aren't we, as human beings? And we're all, which is why mm. dogs like French bulldogs and flat-faced dogs, everybody loves them and they see them in, as a puppy they're so cute i think the biggest mistake that people make is is picking a dog or or any pet based on what it looks like rather than what they can offer so even when we rehome dogs we get a lot of people who message us and say i want a dachshund i want a sausage dog because they're so cute they don't research the breed and what they need and what they can offer and they don't come to us and say this is my lifestyle and this is what i've got this is my home this mm. is my garden this is how active i am what dog would suit me? I think that's the first thing. It's And it's being very honest about what you can offer. Because, you know, some people don't want to get out of bed in the morning and, you know, they, they want to have a lion at a weekend or they work long shifts or they have a lot of holidays. And it's, you know, some people come to us and say, I want a dog and they'll reel off, you know, their lifestyle. And, and I joke and say, okay, the breed of dog you want is a cat because a dog isn't, isn't <laughs> going to work for you. And I think people think I'm being mean and, and I'm not. But I think people have good intentions, but they're not 100% honest. So I think that's the first thing is to sit down as a family and be completely honest about how much work you want to put in. Because, you know, we have a lot of small dogs, but, you know, small dogs obviously eat less. They need less exercise. If you're going to go out and get a big dog, the chances of things going wrong if you're not going to train that dog and exercise it appropriately are obviously much greater. And those dogs are harder to then rehome because, it's sad to say if you've got a tiny little poodle, which I've got at the minute, and he's this big and he's bitten, he has come to me, but he's so much easier to handle and to deal with because he weighs three kilos. If he was a dog that weighed 60 kilos and he'd bitten, it's a whole different different ball game. But it's any dog can be dangerous, can't it? It just depends on the handling and, and the homes. But I would say that's the first thing to do is not be honest with, you know what you've got to offer and how much work you want to put in be patient don't go out and buy the first dog you can just because you want a dog and it would be to sign up and register with a lot of rescue organizations so there's there's loads you know contact them and be prepared to wait for the right dog because anybody you know anybody can go to a breeder and pay two thousand pound and buy a dog but if you want to do the right thing and you want to rehome one you know you, you might have to wait a year for your ideal dog that you know matches your needs and your family and your lifestyle so be honest and be patient with what you've got and be prepared for a 15-year commitment yeah 
And in the meantime, whilst you're waiting, just support your uh, your local dog rescue. Yeah. Do you know, if you can't, we have loads of people saying like, what can I do? Even if it's just sharing the posts on social media or liking the page or, you know, we did this Christmas, we asked people to donate a, an extra blanket if they were shopping in Tesco's, the little fleece blankets or an extra pack of dog treats, you know, anything like that. It's, um, you know, a massive help. And if you need to get your fix of dogs, you know, there's so many rescue organisations that are on social media and you can go and you can scroll and you can, you know, you can see all these sweet little dogs that are being rehomed and, you know, and are in the new, you know, the new lives. So many dogs now when they re- are rehomed from us, they go on to have their own social media pages. And I love it because I log in every day and I'm like, well, there's one of my dogs at the beach today, you know, and so you, you can get your fix in other ways. You know, if you want to see pages and pages of cute dogs, you don't have to go out and buy one from a breeder. <laughs> You can you can get your fix elsewhere, or come and volunteer and come and walk some of my dogs because it's never ending. Yeah, it sounds like you could do the a little bit of a, a rest now and then. So. <laughs> yeah, a holiday would be great, but there's no chance of that. Not for the foreseeable. No, probably not. Probably not. Probably not. Maybe maybe a couple of hours while someone walks walks a couple of your. <laughs> Your dogs. That's as good as it gets. Or a very big camper van and then they're all coming with me and I'm not sure where we'd go, but it'd have to be somewhere remote on an island. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, can, I can imagine. Uh, can, I, can I ask about the, the, the local community that, you, that you've got around you? Because I'm kind of, in, I'm always yeah. interested in where, where people are at in their communities, whether they've discovered, you know, a, a, a thriving vegan community or it's been a little bit harder to find. It sounds like you, you initially found one and actually ended up kind of leading one through the, through the outreach programs and so on. And obviously, you've made a, a, quite a name with the, the dog rescue now as well. Um, but what's the, what's the community like locally? You know, in terms of veganism, is is it quite a thriving one, or is it is it f- quite few and far between? Where I live, so I'm about forty minutes outside of Liverpool. It's a relatively small town, and it's the population is a lot older. So I always find that the older generation are the ones that are harder to. To, to draw in to talk about veganism but we've got where I'd say I've made my most vegan friends in Southport is we've got an amazing little vegan cafe I'll say hi to the megafauna in Southport if you follow them on social media and I've made a lot of friends through them and um, when they've done events we've been and we've you know, so some of my friends have come from there. They've done Christmas dinners. We've got another um, vegan cafe that's just opened less than six months ago on the outskirts of Southport. And I love going in there because everyone's vegan. That's Wild Root Cafe as well. Look at me name dropping all these people, Wild Root and Holsall. <laughs> no and you, you, get, you get friendly with people and then you follow them on social media and they follow you. And, you know, I've gone from being Mrs. Little Legs, which is my rescue, to having a name and you know, we had Christmas dinner there and we bought a cheese hamper for Christmas and they then have people that work there that make jewellery and you follow them. And social media is is amazing now, isn't it? So I found that our little community has grown because you meet people and you find them on, on Instagram and you can follow them and, and then everybody, everything falls into place, doesn't it? And you all click. So whilst we've only got a small vegan community, it's a really kind one locally and I'm really grateful for it. So even in the village where I live, we have a dog cafe and they have now got more vegan options on the menu. So whilst they're not a vegan dog cafe, they will do you a vegan breakfast and they make vegan dog biscuits made out of peanut butter and bananas for the dogs. And 
we've got a chocolate shop that now do vegan hot chocolate. And I'd say probably a third of their handmade chocolates are vegan as well. And, you know, by going in and ordering them and speaking to them and talking about veganism, I feel like it's really blossoming locally. And whenever I go to some of our little independent bars and cafes and I see something new vegan on the menu, it's exciting. So it, it's it's blossoming, I would say. It is growing. That's so great to hear. And it's sort of, I guess, is testament really to the growth of, of veganism generally, that whether it's a, what you consider a relatively small town, you know, you're not right in the heart of Liverpool, but you've got all these options. It's, it's, it's fantastic. And it's, it's growing like that. It's good to have a couple of cafes as well. It's always like, it's lovely, isn't it? When you, when you go to a restaurant or a cafe and you don't have to ask <laughs> any I, questions. I know, and everything, everything's vegan. vegan and it's not like, uh, what's this got in? And, you know, I go in, I've got yeah. a nine-year-old <laughs> daughter and trying to go somewhere and her saying, well, can I have that? What's in that? What's in that? To just go in and say, pick whatever you want. It's, it's refreshing. And to know everybody <laughs> that works there, you're all on the same page and it's, it's nice, isn't it, when you meet people and you know that kind of ethically and morally you're all on the same page. It's a nice feeling, yeah. isn't it? it? It immediately makes me feel relaxed. And, you know, I've said to a few people, obviously there's exceptions, but usually if people have made that, that leap and become vegan, they tend to be more conscious with their thinking. They tend to be, obviously not everyone, kind because especially if they've done it for animals. And like for me, yes, the health benefits and everything are great, but for me it's all about animals. But I always say to people, normally if someone's vegan, they're going to be quite open-minded. They're going to be, they're going to be a nice person normally. So <laughs> that's what, that's what, what I, I stick to anyway, because if they've made that compassionate leap, you know, and that they've connected the dots. I think, I mean, there's obviously always exceptions, but I think there is something in that, you know, there's a an element of, um, if you've made a decision out of empathy for, you know, other species that aren't that aren't your own, I think you, you probably naturally start to think a little bit deeper about some other things within your life and you start to question and maybe be a little bit more open and so on. So... Whilst it's not always true, obviously, <laughs> I think I think more often than not, that's been my experience anyway. I don't know if I've just been lucky, but yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, you, t you tend to have that connection point, don't you? which is always nice. It's certainly been mine. I would say that since being vegan, I always used to think that, not I didn't care about people, but I was always really passionate about animals. But I found that since I have become more open-minded and compassionate, and shown more empathy towards animals, that has had a knock-on effect for 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 humans as well. And I, I am much yeah. much more tolerant. I, you know, I'm I'm more open-minded. So when people come to me now with things, I don't think I'm as judgmental. And I don't know whether that's being vegan or a change in my life that I would have made naturally, or getting older, or but I definitely feel mm. like I am more open-minded and I'm a more compassionate person per se for it and it's a good feeling definitely I, th I think going back to what you said at the beginning and it I've, I've not heard somebody articulate it like that but it's spot on but that feeling of embarrassment I think when you felt that and felt like this big seismic kind of shift in your life that all, all these kind of things that you're the foundations of what your thinking was built upon were kind of wrong <laughs> 
I think yeah. that sort of does something to you insofar as like it certainly like makes you then not perhaps assert that you're right all the time, <laughs> you know, so, and that makes you more open to people, generally speaking. It is it's stupid or it sounds stupid when I say it, but literally the, the change in my life from when I decided to go vegan has been, it, it, I feel like I'm a, a different person. I look back at my pre-vegan life as, I don't know, like, like a dream almost, because I feel like this is the mm. person that I was meant to be. You know, I, and from here on now, I would never, there is nothing, you know, when people say, would you ever not be vegan? There is nothing that would ever change my views now on veganism. I'm so passionate about it. So literally now I've made that change. It's like, this is, this is me. This is the the person that mm. I was supposed to be. And everything before then, I was just kind of on this journey to, to get here. So you know, I feel I feel really proud of it, and when I think like five years coming up vegan, you know, I'm I'm proud. I'm really proud. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Time's getting away, but I do want to just come back to the the veganery point. If you were to think back, uh, and, and maybe you're giving some advice to your former self, or maybe some some people who are thinking about going through veganery now, is there any kind of things that you would definitely advise people? think about, reflect upon, whether it be very specific diet things or more broader points, you know, it'd be, it'd be good to just get your your perspective on that initial kind of journey. The first thing I would say is don't, for me, I, I was all or nothing. Do your best. Don't, if you have a bad day or, you know, you accidentally pick something up and you think this is fine to eat and then you look on the back and like way down the ingredients list, it says, milk powder and you've got no idea why milk powder is in salt and vinegar crisps yeah. <laughs> don't don't be hard yeah. on yourself and think that's it I, you know i need to stop now every day is a new day so you know just reset go again the next day don't don't be hard on yourself so that would be my first one prepare like i, I really enjoyed going through recipes and finding recipes that mm. were similar to stuff i already ate and getting the stuff in or even you know, picking up a few cookbooks, like we we bought loads of cookbooks at the start and we love trying stuff from scratch. So, you know, prepare yourself. If you know that your weakness is chocolate, mine was chocolate, get a few different types of vegan <laughs> chocolate in and keep them in so you're not likely to fall off the wagon because you've got something that will like, satisfy that craving. And then, I mean, be proud of it. You know, tell people that you're doing it. So I say to people all the time, don't shy away and don't say, you know, don't go into a restaurant and be feel awkward and say, oh, have you got a vegan menu? You know, just be proud of it and say, I'm trying Veganuary and, you know, there's nothing I can see on the menu, but can you accommodate me or can, you know, can I speak to the chef? Because they always will. So, yeah, don't, mm. don't be hard on yourself. Don't panic if you make a mistake. Be proud of doing it and enjoy it. Enjoy trying all the new foods and things that you've not tried before and like fall in love with cooking again because we were in a bit of a rut with the recipes that we made and the things that mm. we ate and then all of a sudden we found this newfound love for cooking and herbs and spices and using ingredients that we'd never considered before so be excited by it it's, it is exciting love that thanks so much christina it's been amazing chatting with you before i let you go though it would be completely remiss of us not to tell people where to go and find uh, the dog rescue and to make sure that they, they know where to go and support you. 
Oh, fabulous. I've just seen, oh my God, where's an hour gone? It's gone so, so quickly. So my <laughs> rescue is called Lit- Little Legs Dogs. It's um, at Little Legs Dogs on Instagram and it's Little Legs Dogs Rehoming on Facebook. And we've got a website. So it's www.littlelegs, uh, sorry, little-legs.org. Um, but if you Google us, it will come up. But if, yeah, adopt, don't shop. If you want a dog, reach out to your local rescue you know, and just, you know, come and follow us and come and see the craziness that's in my house of my 26 dogs <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> and the chaos that it is. But um, I'm really grateful for having me. So thank you very much for having me. And, you know, all I would say is like my final part and shot about being vegan is be be proud to be vegan and, you know, en- enjoy it and Thank you. Being, ve- being vegan is great. It's literally an, in- an enlightenment and it changes your life. What better place to, to end it? Thank you so much, Christina. I'll Thank put, you, Jim. Thank you so notes. much for having me. <laughs> no worries. I'll pop links to everything that we, we've talked about in the show notes uh, so folks can come find you. So if you are interested in supporting uh, Christina and the work she's doing, just give the uh, show notes a click and you'll see the links there. Thanks so much. Thank you, Jim. This is a Bloody Vegans production. Where's the strangest place you've lost your car keys? Inside the refrigerator, the washer or dryer, the trunk of your car? the kitty litter box? Well, good news, because even if you've lost your keys on the moon, you can still unlock your car and get where you're going with available digital key in the 2023 all-new Kia Niro EV. Farther for all. To learn more, visit kia.com slash Niro EV today. Kia, movement that inspires.